Hi guys, my name is Ray Chase, and I am the guest host of the very popular Liam Edwards Final Games podcast. Today we have a very, <laughs> very special guest with us today, who I would imagine is probably the most requested guest of anyone on this show. His name is Liam Edwards. He is the creator and the host of this podcast. Liam, thanks for being on your show. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. This is like a bizarro world. <laughs> it's like the Twilight Zone. I've stepped into the Twilight Zone. Uh, thank you, Ray. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Today, we are finally going to get to know your top eight games, which everybody wants to know. And I'm sure this oh, yeah. episode will be scrutinized more than any other one uh, Maybe. in terms of correctness. Although it's weird because I feel like it's quite funny because we've come to this point because it is indeed, well, just past in January, the uh, one year anniversary of the show um, since it started for real. And uh, to this point, we've had 40, what, 47 wonderful guests so far, uh, all incredible people like yourself, Ray, who I very much appreciate <laughs> jumping the chance to come on to be the guest host. Um and so many people were wondering what I was going to do for the, like an anniversary because a lot of people do that now, don't they? They're like, oh, it's the one year anniversary of the show. Let's have a big special, I don't know, Twitch stream or let's have a, I don't know, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, and, um, this so one was long were... overdue. <laughs> um, so I got thinking about what I potentially could do and ideas went back in my head and then I always remember the fact that every week, no matter what, I still get five or six messages about people asking, when am I going to do my eight games? And obviously, I've spoken to some people who think, oh, you should leave it for a while and um, some people who say, no, no, we really want to hear like what you have. I, I find it weird because the people who are asking are the people who listen every week, but those people right. probably know better than anyone the kind of games that I would choose. And I think anyone who listens to the show probably knows which way the biasedness is going to swing uh, in some way to maybe a certain company or so. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I have thought, yes. I think that would be the only <laughs> real clue in terms of what your list ended up being. Uh, other than the, yes, that company is very, very true, but I'm surprised with some of these for sure. Okay, well, as long as you're surprised, because I think we had a long discussion about the choices um, right, that but you nobody chose heard and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think we're going to be... I think some people are going to be surprised. <laughs> but first of all, what you do on your show is you, uh, you talk about our guest, and our guest today is Liam Edwards, who has worked in the video game industry. Can you tell us your story? Uh, I guess I can. Um... Yeah, so for as long as I've known, really, for as long as I've far back, I've always played video games. Um, it started from the day when, I think I've told the story before, but the day my grandmother came back from playing golf with one of her friends. And um, her friend said, hey, my, my grandson is going to university and he's get, basically getting rid of all his stuff. And one of his things was a Sega Mega Drive or Genesis people ah. and i was i think four years old at the time and uh i had played pc games i think when we spoke about your dos games back uh on your episode ray mm -hmm. um i mentioned that i played some pc games like windows installed pc games right um but never really dabbled in video games into the terms of like home consoles or arcades because unfortunately i'm from england we didn't really have arcade games and arcades are incredibly crap in england uh. um 
But she came home and she bought this and she was like, oh, maybe my grandson, because I'm the oldest grandson. So thankfully, I got everything donated towards me. Um, <laughs> she came home with this Mega Drive and the two games that were with it, one was obviously Sonic, um, right. which was great. And um, the other one was <laughs> Terminator versus Robocop, which I've since learned is a brutally violent and incredibly in- uh, mature game. <laughs> you were playing <laughs> it was, at age was, four? Yeah, I was playing at age wow. four. I don't think back then my parents or my grandmother kind of realized that video games could potentially be for adults as well. So, right. Um, but I played it and I really enjoyed it. I love playing Sonic and everything. But although I'm obviously people who listen to the show, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Nintendo's work. From then, playing the uh, Sega stuff inspired me to talk to people in school who also played games because I loved it so much. And then from then on, as the story goes, I met kids who played video games. I would go around to their house and I would play um, Super Nintendo and I would play, uh, you know, the NES as well. Some kids had that. And I just really fell in love with stuff like Mario and Zelda and Mario Kart and all that kind of stuff. And from then, I think a few years passed and we get towards when the Nintendo 64 was going to release. Um, I said to my parents, please, 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 like, look, it has Zelda, it has Mario, it has all these things I really love, and, um, I think from then on, the Nintendo 64 was, like, the defining console for me, that was when I truly realized this is Now, they is what were I very liked. supportive of it, they bought it for They you. were, and, and in fact, it's another funny story, uh, actually about, the, the way I receive consoles is, is in kind of always a unique way, so obviously my grandmother came home and she bought me the Sega Mega Drive, um, which was just donated to her by one of her friends, which is quite incredible to think. But the other one um, with the N64 is it was Christmas. Obviously, you only maybe get games once a year when you're right. younger or that kind of thing. Uh, it was Christmas and we had our presents and it was all under the tree in the morning and we had a great day. And then I remember distinctly, I'll always remember this, my dad going upstairs to our room and being like, oh, Liam, uh, Sean, who is my brother, um, mm-hmm. the, you, you've missed something. And we were like, what? And I was only like six at the time. My brother was younger. Uh, we were like, no, 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 no. What, 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 what? And uh, we ran upstairs and he's like, under the bed, under the bed. And there was a big box wrapped in wrapping paper. Oh. And we were like, oh, oh my God, what's this? And it was, by this time, the cruel thing about this is it was like nine o'clock at night. So being young kids, we were going to bed pretty soon. And uh, my dad was like, no, no, seriously, like, you've missed a present. Like, Santa's obviously left you a present under your bed as well. How could you miss it? And uh, obviously, he just put it there. <laughs> Not that stupid. But um, pulled it out and uh, unraveled it. And then there it was, a Nintendo 64 with GoldenEye. So and I think at the time, obviously, Super Mario 64. Um, yeah. And I just couldn't believe it because it was exactly what I wanted. Uh, I hadn't even thought about the fact that I didn't get it that day. I think I was just, you know, excited about Christmas and not really thinking about it. Um, but I was so amazed. And my parents let us stay up for an extra two hours till 11 p.m. where we played Goldeneye with my dad. And we played some Super Mario 64. And that was like the best Christmas ever. But that was like the only console I had for such a long time until I got the PlayStation 2 and the GameCube that the games on the N64 and stuff like Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart and Ocarina of Time and so many other games that really solidified in my mind that video games was something that I really wanted to 
either do or do just be involved in. Yeah. yeah, and I had no idea how to make games. Like back then, the internet was like a baby. So searching for stuff like how do you make games didn't really return many searches like it would now. Um, so <laughs> right. I was always thinking of ways. And when I was in college, I studied animation and media, and I thought maybe I can like make videos about video games or. I could do animations and stuff. And I was always thinking of ways of, I don't know, talking, at least talking about video games. And lo and behold, I started writing about video games and I was really bad. My grammar was terrible. My writing was awful. But there were people who saw my enthusiasm for video games and helped me out. And You wrote on what? On a, a blog? I wrote on my own blog and then I wrote on a few like volunteer websites like hookedgamers.com, which was like a PC centric European website. And then wow. a few other places I did some freelance work for places. And then I managed to uh, get an internship at GameSpot working with amazing people like Danny O'Dwyer, Jane Douglas, Guy Cocker, all these wonderful people who worked at GameSpot UK at the time. And that was like, Oh my God, I, I I've made it. This is like exactly what I want to do. That's I remember very being, cool. I was only 20 and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I want to do. Because um, I'd studied computer science in university in the hope of like, I don't know, going into programming or something, but I didn't really enjoy it too much. I always enjoyed maybe talking about games, less so designing or making them. Um, but I did my internship and I was living in London and I had such an amazing time. But unfortunately, when it came to my internship, finishing, uh, there were no positions open at GameSpot at the time and I couldn't afford to live in London. So I head back to my parents' house where I had to then find uh, a new job. Uh, but I still wanted to work in video games. So a friend of mine was working at Rockstar Games. Uh, obviously, the GTA, the GTA chaps you might all know. And um, he said there were some positions going for like QA positions. What year, uh, what year was this? About? This was 2000 and uh, maybe 11, I think. So, so 2000. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so everything was established at this point. This was yeah. So I was yeah, yeah. So I was like 21, I think, at the time. Yeah, 21 when I heard about this Rockstar position. So I applied. Um, I heard that for that position alone, I think like something like 2,000 people position applied and then there were only 20 positions for like new people to come in because at that point, um, it was kind of before the studio were working on GTA 5 directly. Gotcha. So they were still pretty secret, pretty close-knit, only the best of the best. And um, yeah, and then that was like a six-month process of interviews and application forms and tests and meetings and crazy stuff that you have to go through to get a job at such a company like rockstar and uh then i eventually well, found out had, i didn't get the point, job you didn't have any um any uh other position working in a video game company really no no i hadn't no yeah. i hadn't i had just uh, what i thought at the time was an advantage which was i'd interned at like one of the biggest video game websites in the world but that was that was like press and let's like Rockstar, like the most secretive, mysterious video game company in the world. Right. So what I thought was an advantage was a disadvantage <laughs> because they were because all you do is I tell was... secrets, and they wanted you to keep them. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Like they wanted to NDA the shit out of me and make sure I couldn't say anything, make sure I wasn't doing anything. They didn't know if they could trust me and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, so <laughs> that was uh, I, what I thought was an advantage in my favor was not. Um, but yeah, so I, then I found out I didn't get the job. So after six months of waiting, I didn't get it. Um, and I was like, I can't even believe it. Like I, I did the stupid thing of putting all my eggs in one basket in the hope 
that <laughs> that would be it because I wanted to work in the games industry so badly that I thought, oh, it'll just happen. Like, this will just happen. Um, but it didn't. So I had to find another job. And they told me, oh, we'll keep your name on file. And then if anything comes up, we'll get back to you. Which, when you hear, you know you will never hear from yeah. those people again. Um, so I went and I moved from my parents' house to Cardiff in Wales to work as a web designer. And I went to Cardiff. I was there one month. I paid, like, a rent for six months tenancy at a place. I got settled. I'd moved across the country. And then one month later, Rockstar were like, oh, uh, do you want to come work for us? No way, man. That is insane. Yeah. So <laughs> Lee, uh, the HR manager back then at Rockstar, such a great guy. Yeah, he uh, said, oh, do you remember when we said we'd keep your name on file? Well, we actually do do that here. And um, we have, we're going to open, I think it was five more positions out of the 20. And um, we'd like you to be one of those five. So I was thinking... But I've just moved. I've spent yeah. so much money. How am I going to tell my How am I going to tell my dad that I need to basically turn around and come back home and then go oh, to the other side of the country and work at Rockstar? And uh, they sent me the contract through, and I was looking at it, and I was like, I have to do this. I, like this is everything I wanted. I wanted to work in the games industry so badly. Um, so I did. I, I then quit my job <laughs> after less than a month. They were very, very unhappy. Um, but they were also quite understanding because I must have spoken about games a lot at work. That they understood that. <laughs> Even in that I one month, they knew that you were that yeah. passionate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so then I went back to my parents, got prepared to move, moved in with a friend of mine um, who was one of the head of the French uh, team on GTA, uh, a guy called Francois. And um, stayed with him for the first month and basically got myself accustomed to staring at what was the biggest secret in the games industry at the time, which was GTA 5. And That's from amazing. then on, worked on GTA 5 for the next few years until its release. And then, and the, what did you do exactly? Uh, I was uh, stunning out. I was working in QA in the art department. So we were like before release, we were scouring the map and we were checking for art issues and we were making sure it looked all beautiful and pretty because at the time it was still running on playstation 3 and xbox 360 which um pushing that hardware was super difficult um mm. but they managed to make it look incredible um and it was one of i remember i'll always remember my first day seeing gta 5 and just seeing the water the ocean um and i was like oh my god i've lived by the sea my whole life and this looks exactly like That's the ocean and um, so I started out in the art and then when we locked down all of the art to get ready to fin finalize the, the builds of the game to, for release, I got moved on to the multiplayer side. After working a little bit on the single player, I worked on the cutscenes for the game, like cutscene performance and stuff like that. Um, then I moved on to the multiplayer, which is where I predominantly worked, which was on the GTA Online side of things. And uh, I worked in a great multiplayer team under a guy called phil uh where we just had so much fun basically either destroying people online because we were so much better than them to test yeah. how good you could get or uh. we were <laughs> testing all the new dlcs that were coming out and um we were working on ideas for dlc and then at a point i got essentially promoted to be like what was what we called like a vetter so I was like a QA vetter, which is when we send bugs or bug reports to like the really important studios like Rockstar North, who are 
incredibly well known and who have some incredibly talented people we want to make sure that like the bugs and the the reports we were producing were of the best quality so they would go through like vetters to double check everything was correct to make sure it was like a, a beautifully written report with every all the information they needed so we so their job was super easy um and i did that i think it was about uh, a year, six months to a year before i left um but yeah, I predominantly spent my whole time working on GTA 5. I did some work on mobile ports for San Andreas and uh, Vice City. Um, but yeah, that was uh, my... Uh, but, it, but as anyone who has worked in the games industry will know, it's a, it's a tiring, tiring job uh, that requires basically your whole life um, for you to sacrifice uh, night and day. Um, and I got quite tired and quite demoralized in a way um because we were still working on gta dlc way after launch and it just became quite a repetitive process that i wasn't fully enjoying anymore and i kind of wanted to break out um because i've been always been someone who's talked about video games and love talking about video games as you know everyone who listens to this show will know um and at Rockstar, you are not allowed to do that. Right, <laughs> you are right. absolutely, categorically not allowed to comment on any other company's games, and especially not Rockstar games. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize so, that you weren't even allowed, like, not even trade secrets or anything like that, but literally anyone you weren't allowed to talk no, about. You, you, no, you, you are essentially what they see as a representative of their company. And if you say something untoward or maybe a bit picky about another game's company or something that anyone can misconstrue as something Rockstar said or as a representative of such a company, uh, yeah, they're, they're very touchy about stuff like that. Wow. Um, I can almost still, after two and a half years, feel like the sniper dots coming through the window a little bit <laughs> as I talk now. So um, where are you now? So now, for anyone who knows, or if you're just tuning in for the first time ever, I am now living in Japan. And I've been living in Japan for almost two years now. Um, coming up to two years. And I'm getting ready to move house again in Japan, which is for the third time. Wow. Which is an incredibly stressful experience. But yeah, I've always wanted to move to Japan. I drum roll if you can guess like exactly the reason why I was inspired to come to Japan in the first place for so many years. Obviously because of video games. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'm going to take a massive break. Uh, I'm going to reevaluate what it is I want to do. I had the idea for this podcast and I really wanted to do this podcast. Um... So I shipped myself out to Japan just to basically start everything again. And wow. that's where I've been ever since, really. And I've been here doing freelance work for websites and doing the podcast and all that kind of stuff and kind of pseudo being in the games industry as well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm enjoying myself uh, kind of a lot more now than that's I was great. prior. And this whole, yeah, and your uh, your your podcasting career is uh, is taking off and you're able to talk about video games, which is what it all came back down to. I think I, you're exactly right. That's basically all I've ever wanted to do, which is talk enthusiastically uh, <laughs> with other enthusiastic people who know a lot more about games than I do. That's um, great. But that, yeah, that, and that's where we're here today. And now we're, what, nearly 50 episodes into Final Games in, in just over a year. And um, yeah, it's pretty crazy to see where it started, where it is now, and the fact that now I'm being interviewed about it. Yes. <laughs> so you have your list. Uh, you sent uh, I am not in any of these things. I don't know why you would choose well, a list that I am not in whatsoever. Here, it's very. Here, it's funny because it's funny because two of them, two of them, 
were like toss ups between games that you have been in. Oh, terrible. So you didn't quite make the cut. But <sighs> it's okay. It's it's related because okay. you're like you're like the you're like the hot shit right now, right? Aren't you? I, I mean, was. The, that's what everyone says, but you have to understand. I, Everything I've done came out before Final Fantasy, uh, before Final Fantasy came out. So I haven't worked on anything since then. Uh, wow! So, so I, am, I am just lonely and uh, <laughs> unenthusiastic. And uh, do you and, know what's really funny? Things are coming really out. Funny? So it seems so like I'm really busy. It, it it's really funny you say that because. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Ray, obviously the wonderful one and only Noctus in Final Fantasy XV. Um, you also are now voicing characters in Fire Emblem Heroes, which is like the game everyone's playing on their mobile phone <laughs> sure, right now. Yeah. Um, so you must have done that before. But it's really funny because when I watched the, the Nintendo Direct, you have to tell me whether this is you or not. But the guy who did the voiceover for the trailer. No, that's uh, Yuri, actually. Yuri Lowenthal. It's it's funny because I was thinking this isn't Ray, but it sounds like Ray. And I was thinking, and I remember at the time thinking, I wonder if Ray is doing voices in this game when it said voiced over. And then lo and behold, when the game came out, and I and the first character I looked at was Alphonse. Yes, yes. And it said in the corner, Ray Chase. And I was like, there he is. It's the first the character you get. Well, yeah, I am in that in that trailer <laughs> that Yuri's voicing because I watched it while we were recording something else for another game i'm not allowed to talk about so i did work on one thing since then um Ooh. Ooh. i did uh we were working on something else the nintendo track uh, trailer came out for fire emblem heroes we watched there was a whole bunch that day i think we watched all three of them um and uh oh because uh gaiden or uh, echoes was announced that day too and then another thing right yeah it was a big day for fire emblem that day and in that trailer uh alphonse does say one word something like uh here we go or something like that and, uh, <laughs> and you could hear that. And I was like, oh, good, I made the cut. Because you never know. You never know if you're recast in something like that. I thought for sure I was going to get recast as Roy. I can't believe they, they ended up using me. It was, uh, um, it, was, uh, it was quite an honor to be able to, to, to voice someone like that. I, I Dude, yeah, I was thinking, like, you, you're like, you are Roy now. So, like, it's every weird, time man. I play, I, people play Smash, they're going to be like, Roy's our boy. Uh, Roy's yeah. going to be like, yeah. Raise our boy. Raise our boy. Hopefully, hopefully they bring me for the new Smash. I don't. I have no idea. I saw that Roy's. It looks like he's confirmed for it. So uh, that'd be cool. But I haven't heard anything about it yet. Um, <laughs> well, so I mean, I've been playing that game a lot, and we'll talk about it in the list. It, I will admit, it, it did nearly make it compared to a, a game I have chosen, just because I'm I'm enjoying it so much right now. Fire Emblem Heroes almost made your list. Yes. Wow. Yes, it did. I'll explain wow. why in a little bit. I'll explain why. Okay. Uh, so I'd just like to say before we begin, um, what is, when coming up with your list, you had to have been aware of what everyone else picks. And I've noticed yes. you did not pick what everybody else picks, uh, which is very cool. I mean, some of these are, are I mean, certainly no, not a whole lot of obscurity in here. Yeah. But um, uh, w- when... You have been doing this show. What are the one are the top three games that everyone picks? Would so you say? there are definitely three that stand out constantly, and luckily only there. I think I would say there's four or five that stick out a lot. Um, and one of them I did think about choosing, but I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I would last. So I'll explain my thinking first. Well, no. I'll explain what the games are, and then I'll explain what my thinking is behind the list, going off the basis of everyone else's. Um, so the games that most 
uh, basically picked all the time happened to be either Resident Evil 4, The Witcher 3, uh, Dark Souls, uh, a Mario game, but that's kind of unavoidable, I right. think. Um, and then there, there is some other stuff as well. But basically, Resident Evil 4, The Witcher 3, and Dark Souls are probably the most ch- chosen games. And, uh, and Zelda. A Zelda. Oh, and Zelda. A I'll Zelda as a well. Zelda. Yeah. So yeah. a Mario and a Zelda are unavoidable. Uh, spoilers, I have not chosen a Zelda game. Neither I did I. Not. Right. And I no, didn't choose a Mario yeah. game either. Yeah, I have chosen technically a Mario, uh, technically yes. two Mario games. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> but um, my thinking behind the list for me was, as I was saying to you before, Ray, is that coming up with the games is so easy, but getting it right in terms of like, right, I really am going to be deserted on an island. What games am I going to want to play? And when I initially started the show, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a show all about nostalgia. Like, people are going to pick the most obscure, wonderful games from their childhood that bring the most memories. But the idea of being trapped on a deserted island took over um, a little more, I think, um, in some people's minds, which I hadn't really thought about. So then it became a a balance between nostalgia and practicality. How long will these games last? Exactly. So I feel like that's the that is almost the ethos of the show these days. So I thought as the host, I should probably go down that path in some way. Yeah. Which means I have chosen four I would consider nostalgia and four games that I would I have chosen for practicality reasons, but also games that mean a lot to me anyway. Um, so I've kind of balanced it between nostalgia and practicality. Uh, which means games like Dark Souls or Bloodborne, Bloodborne would be the game I would pick, um, is not something I'm going to choose. Because although those games have a lot of legs in them, I just don't think they last that long. Um, when you're talking about a lifetime, scheme. yeah. Yeah, in the grand scheme of like a deserted island. Although some games on my list today have maybe maybe one or two, I think, wouldn't wouldn't last too long in comparison to like bloodborne or something gotcha. but also get ob- obscure games from my childhood as well like based nostalgia ones like like snowboard kids on the nintendo 64 which is a game i absolutely adore um <laughs> didn't quite make it or there is no final fantasy games unfortunately um i did think about you know whether i would pick like chrono trigger or final fantasy 6 or i did also think about final fantasy 15 because i thought maybe out of all the final fantasy games that's the one that would last the longest um so well, there I was mean, 14 there was, would last the longest 14 would last the longest you're right and i did think about mmos as well and i did have at one point world of warcraft down on the list um but i decided that everyone chooses world of warcraft so i'm not gonna uh, do that <laughs> i'm um, gonna change that <laughs> and uh you did final fantasy 15 did make your end of the year list last year because you it did only ones from last year which was very good uh, okay. I did. So you're in that. You're in there somewhere. I'm you're in, in there, there somewhere. <laughs> so let's begin uh, the long-awaited Liam Edwards list uh, with the first game, and uh, we'll play some music from it. Child in Valoran, a 
has heard the tale before about the cursed mummy boy who felt his heart no more. So sad and lorn, the helpless lad, Amumu was his name. He ventured out to find a friend and learn about his bane. So Liam Edwards' first game on his list of the eight games he's going to bring with him to a deserted island is a multiplayer online battle arena video game developed and published by Riot Games for Microsoft Windows and Mac OS. The game follows a freemium model, is supported by microtransactions, and was inspired by the Warcraft 3 Frozen Throne mod Defense of the Ancients, Dota. This game is League of Legends. Why would you bring My League God. of Legends with you? My God, Ray, that was that was in- well done. I, 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 that was an incredible intro. I'm, it's I'm how very, you do very it. Proud of you, right? I, I, I do, and I take I take time in in thinking about the intros and uh, making sure I get the correct information. Right, um, and so you did it very well, Ray. I must commend you. It's a great start. Thank you. Um, but yeah, my first game is League of Legends, and this was a this is kind of the weird one on the list. Um, for anyone who knew me when I was working at Rockstar, like this was the game I played like every day. Um, I got addicted to League of Legends, uh, like a lot of people did, um, and this was sort of my thinking in the MMO category. Like, I want to take a game that has other people I can interact with in maybe a kind of competitive way on the PC, so like a MOBA or an MMO. Um, so I thought maybe like. Final Fantasy 14 or World of Warcraft or would I choose a game like StarCraft or League of Legends? And League of Legends is just a game to me that although I haven't played it in probably over a year now, there was wow. a period where every single day I would play it for like three or four hours. I've spent so much fucking money on this game <laughs> as well um, that I feel like it would be a waste not to bring it because it's a, it's a game that just it, it lasts forever. It, it, it just will go on forever. The meta changes all the time. New characters are introduced constantly. It's an ever-evolving game in a sense um, that I feel like I could get addicted to again and um, I could finally reach like diamond or platinum ranking on in the competitive rank scene. <laughs> But it, it, this is kind of like my first choice in terms of uh, practicality. This is this means a lot to me, um, in a sense, because it, I played it with so many of my friends every day. Uh, I got so angry and rage-filled at it sometimes, and they hated every minute of it. But at the same time, couldn't stop playing. Um, so this is like my first practicality choice, like a game that's going to last me a long, long time. Now, do you have any, who are your favorite characters to play with? Or does it change all the time as with the meta? Um, so obviously the meta changes, which means like the, the character you'll play in your role will change all the time. And I tended to, when I started the game, I was playing in, in like in the mid, which is like, if you don't know anything about MOBAs, you basically have five roles 
uh, on a on a team you have the top the jungle the mid the adc which is like the assassin and then the support and the assassin and the support usually lane at the bottom together and uh, the mid is like kind of the guy who holds everyone together. He's almost like the team captain. And I've always sort of, in a way, thought of myself like that from playing sports when I was younger. And um, But then I slowly realized I was actually really bad mechanically <laughs> at League of Legends. I'm just not as fast and responsive as other people. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll try and be like an assassin. I like killing other people online. Um, so I played with assassins for a long time, which means I played characters like Lucian, Caitlyn, um, who else is playing like Jinx. Um, it's a lot of fun with those characters. But then I also realized I'm not a very good assassin either. <laughs> like people are killing me. Um, and something I like to do is in, in games is if I'm like playing in a serious role like that, I take it really seriously. But that's not kind of my personality because I'm not very good at taking things seriously. <laughs> so I thought, hey, I'll be a support. Like, I can just, like, be the tank who just, like, gets in front of people and really annoys them. And then I can help my assassin. So when I started playing support, I started playing two characters. One was Thresh and one was Blitzcrank. And they both have, like, moves that allow you to, like, basically throw, like, a large hook like across the map mm -hmm. to like grab people and pull them towards you, which to me is like the funnest thing in the world. Like skill shot games are so much fun to be. Uh, and just like planning like a really sophisticated but stupid hook, um, like whether you wait in a bush and you hook someone over a wall and pull them towards you and then everyone on the team ganks them is like the most satisfying yeah. <laughs> thing in the world to me. So I thought I can kill people by basically trapping them and catching them off guard and i can and they can't kill me because i'm really tanky and i'll put loads of armor on and and all this kind of thing so i ended up playing almost entirely playing support for a really long time and were you uh, good which at? means uh, i felt like with being a support like so if we compare it in like League of Legends terms, so we have all the tiers, which is like bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, uh, whatever the ranking is. Um, I feel like support, I was probably like gold tier. And then like for like mid and ADC, I was like maybe silver, low silver. So I felt like I was definitely better in that role. I don't think I was that good. I don't think I'm <laughs> going to go professional anytime soon and be playing for teams like TSM or CLG or something. Um, but I definitely had a lot more fun because I wasn't being so angry because I wasn't dying all the time. And basically, like, I couldn't kill anyone because I didn't have enough damage, but I could definitely help others kill people, which was almost just as satisfying. Um, so, yeah, but Thresh, Thresh was my character. He's like this ghostly-looking pirate dude who traps the souls of the dead inside of a lantern uh, and has a floating skull above above like his neck which you know it's kind of death metal in a way um <laughs> and uh i just loved hooking people and just trolling essentially with like my support character and <laughs> that was some of the most fun i'd had in video games for a long time do you have a team that you play with regular or you played with regularly a group i'm um, sorry basically i basically just played with so i have three friends i went to university with we all lived in the same house we've all grown up together we've known each other for like 15 years and uh, a lot of the games on this list are actually games that come from probably the most influential time in terms of playing games for me, which was when I was in university, when I basically sacked off my degree and just played video games with my friends all day long. Perfect. Um, so we played a lot of games like League of Legends, and a lot of the games that are going to come in this list are 
maybe not everyone's favorite choices in that series specifically. Um, but the, the reason as to why I've chosen the games that are coming up is because I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours playing it with my friends. And they were essentially the guys I played with in League of Legends and pretty much do with every game. So not, not a team in a sense, but just my guys, my, just my friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this makes sense. Uh, I think this is a good segue for uh, your game number two which is definitely a game that a lot of people wouldn't, this particular game, this game series is a very popular <laughs> one, and a lot of people choose it. This particular game, uh, not not usually chosen as a standout from it, but I could understand that uh, why you would uh, choose it if you played it with your mates all the time in college, because this would, uh, the timeline would yeah. make sense a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's play it some does. music from this next game. Before we begin on your second game, I recall that during your podcast, this is the time that you talk about where you're going to be on your desert <laughs> island. Which which place? Uh, this is not a surprise to you. You know this question's coming, and I'm sure you have an answer. If you I actually don't, <laughs> yeah, you you don't have an answer. I actually haven't I haven't really thought it through. I have a few places in my head, but I'm kind of thinking about it like quickly in my mind. Like, While am I sure? Am I sure? About it quickly, I'll explain the rules. <laughs> Liam can stay anywhere that he wants. So uh, this deserted island can be any place, any location in any video game. And all, all it would be is any NPCs would not be there. So you wouldn't be able to yeah. talk to people and you yeah. wouldn't be able to escape this place. So you wouldn't you could have an Internet connection, but you couldn't use it to communicate with the real world, say, send emails, stuff like that. Um, yeah, uh, but you would and any monsters that were a part of it would be there. So you would if it's a dangerous place, you would still have dangerous situations there. Um, they would. So those are those are the general rules, I think. Um, do you have a place in mind that you would stay? So I've been thinking about it a, a, a little bit because thinking of the games is the most difficult part. I almost neglected to think about <laughs> the fact that I have to choose a place. And um I I essentially thought of it in terms of like what would I miss from like the real world and how I can almost emulate that in my island essentially what do I miss cuz I I'm, I'm obsessed with nature and I I love nature it's so beautiful to me and I love it and that probably stems from the fact that of where I live I live in Japan yeah. which is just the most beautiful country in the world hands down like it is the p 
perfect marriage of like modern with the respect for nature that we should give the earth and that kind of thing. Um, so I thought about how much I would miss living in Japan. And huh. I thought, how can I, how can I sort of replicate that? Because obviously a lot of games have been based around Japan. Yeah. Uh, and the Japanese landscapes and um, all that kind of thing. So there, there are th- things that have bounced around in my head. Like the major one was the, the land of Japan from the game Okami. Oh, perfect. And because that would just be Japan. But people have chosen that in the past. Oh. So I didn't, I didn't really want to go with what other people have chosen. But I still wanted to stick with the... Uh, the, the Japan theme. And, you know, there have been games that, like the Shin Megami Tensei series, which takes place in Tokyo, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic Tokyo, not quite the nice one. Um, but then I really thought about it. Like, I would want, like, my favorite season, which is right now, which is the Sakura season, all the cherry blossoms and all the wonderful flowers and mountains of Japan. And um, there is a level, there is a stage in Street Fighter V. <laughs> Called the Kanzuki Estate, which is, I believe, it's Karen's original Karen stage in Street Fighter Five. I I don't know too much about Street Fighter Five, um, but it's Karen's estate in Street Fighter Five, and it's basically a a a, a family temple. Like it's it's just it's supposedly just outside of Tokyo, uh, quite in the view of Mount Fuji, and it's like a it's almost like. I can't. I forget what we call them in Japan, but they're essentially like temples that are built for lords to have wonderful gardens surrounding them that no one can come in. Uh, <laughs> basically, oh, like a looks, Japanese mansion. Yeah, it looks beautiful because it it has the it looks almost like a, a temple aesthetic to it. And yeah, you've got the courtyard here, but also through the hallway you can see this ornate ballroom that inside mm. it's this very modern. Uh, well, or like a uh, 19th century aesthetic inside, which is very cool. Yeah, so it's this wonderful, essentially like Japanese temple house with these castles in the background behind it with Mount Fuji and also Sakura is always in bloom, uh, the most beautiful like trees in the world. Uh, and it's just so nice and it's so Japanese that I could have my own little temple mansion and just play games in, in this temple uh, for the rest of my days, so I think I would like to be sent. Please, Ray, can you send me to the? <laughs> can you send me to the Kanzuki Estate? Absolutely, very good, very good choice. Great, and right off, uh, right off the top of your head, not too bad. <laughs> so Liam's next game, which uh, he has found some great music for, I'm sure, um, is uh, was developed by Nintendo EAD and published by Nintendo. There's no surprise there. That some Nintendo games are going to start making this list and start populating it very quickly. <laughs> Everyone's going to turn off now. <laughs> it is the it is the sixth installment in the Mario Kart series and was released for the Wii in April 2008. It is thusly called Mario Kart Wii. Liam, why why Mario Kart Wii? <laughs> so. Yeah, so a lot of people are going to be thinking Mario Kart Wii is one of the worst Mario Karts. What the fuck is wrong with you? Mario Kart 8 is great. Mario Kart Double Dash is great. You suck. Yeah. Um, but it does go back to... So I love Mario Kart. Absolutely adore Mario Kart. Love Mario Kart 8. Uh, it all started with Mario Kart 64. Then I went back and played Super Mario Kart. And um, just... I've loved Mario Kart for so long. But as I said, when I went to university... I was with my friends and we had a Wii and a PlayStation 3 
uh, for a long time, that's all we had. So, and we were poor students, so we had to make the best uh. with what we had. Uh, so we had games like Smash Brothers Brawl, Mario Kart Wii. Uh, we had League of Legends because it was free to play on computers, and we played so much Mario Kart Wii and got so goddamn competitive about <laughs> it. Like we would, we would challenge anyone, any other university student in our university. Anytime there was like gaming competitions, we would just literally go there to play Mario Kart or Smash. And like, that is like, hands down the game we got the most competitive about. And, and it was Mario Kart Wii. And I really, really like Mario Kart Wii. I like the courses. I like what they did, taking old courses and making them into brand new, um, you know 3d versions on the wii uh and also bikes like it was the first introduction of you know going away from carts and introducing the bikes and i like literally only ever used the bikes wow so i would you i would choose the super bike i would choose daisy which is like a mid to heavy character and i would just basically wheelie all the way across the map taking all the knowing exactly when to boost exactly when to drift um and just, I knew that game backwards. Like, I know it so much. And it was the first time Nintendo obviously had an online console. So there were a lot of um, online ghosts ghosts to beat, like world records and stuff. That's what I was going to so, ask you. But yeah, how how would you do if, because uh, I'm, I'm sure you'd beat people at, at college. But once you go out into the world scene, how would uh, how so would you fare? I specifically remember one week right it was a whole week there is a there is a I, what's the full name i think it's cooper cape cooper cape from mario kart wii uh which is like this sort of mixed cave water mountain level um and i was so good at that level like that was my favorite level i just i just could win every time on it like <laughs> I, I just knew where to do the boosts where to drift where to take shortcuts and all that kind of stuff and um I remember the world record. I remember seeing it and being not that far off. Wow. My, the time. <clears throat> so I spent ages, like absolute ages, like a whole week trying to beat that time. And I remember I got within like a second or, or <sighs> two seconds of it. And I was, I, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, um, Unfortunately, I woke up one morning to, you know, give it a go and see how far I could get on Cooper Cave. And then I and then what had happened is Nintendo had a massive problem with people cheating on Mario Kart. So they would get bots to basically just drive as fast as they possibly can. And uh, whoever held the record got cheated by a bot. So the the world record was then held by a, a, a bot, which was almost an impossible time that no human being could beat so it just killed it killed my drive to ever beat the record for anything wait but that (laughs) means but so if that was a bot you were a second off from perfection how no no no. so i was i was a second off the guy who was first i was a second off the guy who was first and then the guy who was first got beat by a bot but he but for a long time maybe like for a month that guy was number one, and I was only a second off his time on that one level. Uh, and I spent mornings, mornings, like morning after morning, just missing lectures to try and beat this one world record time on Mario Kart. Um, wow! <laughs> how would you um, know? How would you know? 
how to shave off more time? What would it be? I honestly have no idea. I think it's it's just knowing exactly like there is a certain specific part in Cooper Cape where you you go across almost like rushing water. And there is kind of like big logs in the way and there's uh, a really tight turn. And that is actually, I could never really figure out what the best way to go over that was and hit the turn while drifting and not sliding too far out. And I could never quite get that right. I think I nailed it sometimes, but maybe slipped up in other areas. But I think if, I think if I could potentially have figured out the exact way to get across that in the best time I could have got that second wow. maybe. Um, but I, I'm, I'm always very happy that I got with it in a second. I wasn't like 20, I wasn't like 20 seconds off or like 10 seconds off what you usually you are up there world with, the, with the pros. I, I felt like it validated the thousands of hours I spent yeah. playing Mario Kart <laughs> Wii, which uh, was detriment to my degree. <laughs> Did you play with, now this was the one that came out with the, um, the peripheral, the, the driving, uh, little the, wheel. The, did you play with that, or did you just wheel. play with the, the Wii? <laughs> no, no. I saw as as any purist will <laughs> will say. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I used the GameCube controller, but it was like my weapon of choice for both Smash Brothers and for Mario Kart. Oh, perfect. Um, it was like an extension of my hands. <laughs> it awesome. had the perfect the perfect triggers for for drifting and sliding around everywhere. And the, um, yeah. The uh, I was gonna say it's the perfect segue into the uh, your next game, as uh, as in uh, another extension of your hands. This that's is a, true. Yeah, <laughs> this is a game that uh, we'll play some music from that I'm sure no one will recognize unless they lived in a certain country. <laughs> yes, that's probably true. <laughs> So this game is a bit of a mystery. I certainly didn't recognize it whatsoever. It is it is the the token very obscure game here in in Liam's list. Um, <laughs> it is. Uh, I've I've heard you um, talk sometimes uh, with uh, people before about your love for rhythm games, and so I knew that yes. one of these was was going to make this. This is an specifically an arcade rhythm game, developed yep. and published by Sega, originally released in 2015. This game is. is strictly Japan only, and it has a lot of different, there's, well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. It is called Chunithim. That's pretty good. Like, I have I have yet to sort of nail down the pronunciation of this game. I, I go back and forth between saying either Chuntham or Chunthium 
like rhythm, like Chun well, rhythm. I'm reading, or... I'm reading the katakana here, and you've got Chunizu. Yeah, so the katakana, yeah, is Chunizu, Chunizu, which I imagine is just the Japanese way. I don't know why they always write in English. They have to always write yeah. English to, <laughs> in Roman to letters, pronounce yeah. things. Yeah, in Romanji. Uh, but yeah, it is Chunizum. Like, and it's... It looks like the ithum uh, or the ithum is, comes from rhythm. The tune I would have Yeah, known. yeah. Tune, oh, maybe like yeah. tune rhythm? Maybe. Tune They're rhythm, way of I think. They're portmanteauing I, words together. Tune rhythm? Yeah. Maybe that's yeah, what it is. Yeah, so they would use... They would use chi. They would use chi, which is like a C H I for like for two. Su. Yeah, yeah. So that would make sense, like tune rhythm, which yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There we go. Spelled um, spelled in Roman letters C H U N I T H M. If you want to look this guy up. Yeah, and you should because this was like I, like th- for a long time this was replaced by Guitar Hero, um, guitar specifically Guitar Hero World Tour. Uh, which was the first Guitar Hero that got the the drums and the bass and basically the whole set that wasn't just guitar. And it had like amazing songs on it that I really liked, like the Mars Volta and uh, mm-hmm. Protest the Hero and all these really obscure bands. And I thought, I really want a rhythm game and I want a rhythm game that uh, that I enjoy playing without getting frustrated and i've always enjoyed playing guitar hero without the frustration of it getting incredible too difficult like i could handle expert okay but then if we're playing like through the fire and flames by dragon force it's just kind of ridiculous yeah but it never frustrated but then i remember that like last year when i well essentially the tail end of 2015 when i first moved to japan and i was obsessed with japanese arcades because it was this whole brand new experience to me obviously now it's kind of like the norm but right then and there i'd never experienced such a thing and going to the arcade was like this religious experience that i did every weekend um and there was i got into all the rhythm games there was a game called my my where you like slap the screen to hit the beats (laughs) and there's there's the beat mania which we've spoken about on the show before which is like a dj emulation game but then there was this game that had like a like this strip it was just this like keyboard strip there was no physical buttons it was just like a strip on on, in front of a screen and it had i don't know 30 keys so it was way more than like a guitar hero controller or anything and um and i saw someone playing it and it, it was a like it was almost like they were shifting their hand through sand like it was so smooth they were just going up and down on this this strip and uh sometimes the the keys on the screen would either go small or big so you could either like use your palm to hit the beat on the strip or you'd have to use like an individual finger which was really hard um but i was like fascinated by how fast this this person i think it was like a, a, a high school girl as well because that's what japan is like yeah, high school girls are fucking great <laughs> at rhythm games um and I was like, oh my God, that looks amazing. So I gave it a go and I, I was like scrolling through the music and Sega being Sega, Sega put like video game songs on there. So there were songs from Bayonetta, there were songs from Persona, there were songs from Crazy Taxi, there were songs just from loads of different Sega games or Sega affiliated games. And um, so I, I love the Persona soundtrack. So I was like, oh yes, dance from Persona 4, I'll play that. Um so I put it on and I put it on like the easiest difficulty just to try. And 
it was too easy. It was too easy. And I was like, ah, oh, this is not that interesting. And then I put it on like on like I think it was like the sort of second to last difficulty, which was something called uh, like expert or something. I think master is the highest mode. And then it just all comes flooding down at you. Like you have to slide your fingers all over the place. You have to like play it like a keyboard and you have to do this really specific thing where if you can imagine Guitar Hero and the notes coming at you, they look pretty grounded and all on the same level. Well, the thing about Chinitism is that some of the notes go in the air. So what you have to do is you've got your hands on this strip and you're like moving them back and forth and you look like you're doing some sort of hacking of a computer, like you're hacking into the matrix. Right. And you're sliding your fingers across this keyboard and um, sometimes the notes will be in the air and when the notes are in the air, you have to literally physically lift your hands up off the keyboard and there are like two meter strips that are on the side of the arcade cabinet that measure how far you lift your hands up off the keyboard. And you'll get like you'll get like more points for lifting it higher, which means it'll take you more time to touch the keyboard to hit the notes if they're coming really fast. Oh, so you, okay. So it's not like a um oh I always forget the name of the um the instrument that you play by not touching it, by moving your hands in and out. Like the ther the theremin. Yeah, a theremin, right. It's not like that. Really, you're not no. making the, the notes higher or longer or anything like that. It's just literally making it more challenging. It's like putting it's just your hand behind it more your back. Challenging. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially just making it so you look like you're almost doing a dance with your arms. Yeah. Um, and you're like sort of interweaving them between each other because they have to like overlap to hit like the slides, like a, a guitar hero, like uh, you know, holding a note in a guitar hero song, or and then you have to sort of like overlap your hands to tap the beats on each side. But then you'll have like a green bar that will be floating in the air, and to do that, you have to almost tap the air. So you have to lift your hands up off the keyboard and tap tap the air and it can register from both sides whether you've done it or not and um i just got absolutely obsessed with it and it was so fascinating the soundtrack had loads of like underground japanese dj artists who make like music very similar to like dance dance revolution when that originally came out and had all those like techno japanese obscure dance tracks but then it has loads of like anime songs and loads of like video game songs and um I just loved it. I love it so. I, in actual fact, I was at a mall yesterday playing it for the first time in like a month, and I just had so much fun. And you can't own um, this game, so you've only played it in the arcade. It's the only way to practice it. You cannot own it. Yeah, this is an arcade-only game, so I would have to take the big, huge arcade cabinet with me. Um, wow. <laughs> I can't imagine being. I can't even imagine how you would ever be able to play this at home because you'd need like the most ridiculous controller known to man. Um, but yeah, like I could play this game forever. Like I want to be as good as that Japanese high school girl. Like I want to be able to play master. I want to be able to like get like 600 note combos and just demolish, <laughs> demolish the game. Um, I, I love it so much. I, I, it's the first that like when you arrive in Japan and you play arcade games, they ask for like, uh, which like cards, you can get like cards in the arcade and it basically stores all your data on it, like your player data. So if you're playing like Street Fighter, it stores your wins, your losses. Oh, your... that's very cool. And stuff like that. Um, but I've never bothered because I never really got competitively into or like tried to get good at a game. So I never got a card. But after playing Chuntham for a few times, I wanted to be able to keep my progress. So I, I bought like a card for like a thousand yen and I, I had all my player data on it. And I felt so at that time, it's like the most Japanese I've ever felt because <laughs> it's just something like wouldn't happen in like the UK or I imagine America. Right. Um, but I, so I carried this little card around in my phone case and then every time I go to the arcade, I would just whip it out and it would be like, 
hello Riamu and like it would then have all my player data and all my progress and and the game has like a weird story mode where you every time you defeat a song you take basically like a step on like a board like almost like a board game like you get okay. to move, progress in a board game and and every time you get to like a certain spot you face like a boss and it's like a song that's really difficult and you have to try and pass it and then when you pass it you get like more characters and the characters give you like power-ups to help you like clear levels easier or stuff like that and there's a whole other added complexity to it that i don't quite understand because i just really enjoy playing the songs um but i could not think of a better game to take to a deserted place uh especially in a japanese inspired deserted place it would fit right um, in yeah it would fit right in. Just spend my days hammering away at this keyboard and just sliding my fingers around and waving them in the air like a crazy guy. Um, then this game is just the most the most replayable game that I've I love to death. Oh uh, well, I don't have a. I, I was I was trying to make a, a little segue in my mind. I couldn't find anything um, replayed to death. Uh, this next game, uh, your character can die in uh, it. So uh, <laughs> here's some music. From the next game. Game number four for Liam. We're just a little under halfway through. This game, we all knew. We we knew that one game from this series would be coming. Um, this particular one came out in North America in 1991. Developed by Nintendo EAD and published by Nintendo. With the great Shigeru Miyamoto as producer. Koji Kondo doing the music. This game is called Super Mario World. Liam. Why Super Mario World of all of the Super Marios? I mean, really, could I really choose any other game? I've I've gone on about this game so much in this on this damn podcast <laughs> over the over the year that I couldn't. I had to take a Mario game. I mean, that is without a shadow mm-hmm. of a doubt. Mario games, although they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, they are infinitely more replayable than Zelda games or any any such game in my opinion. They are platformers that you can almost perfect like you can practice for years and years and years and there's still stuff you can do better in those games and um, World is my favorite Mario game um, it was a toss up between this and Mario Galaxy because I also really love Mario yeah. Galaxy um, but I felt like Sometimes on this show, people have chosen choices specifically because the game is great, but also because the music is great. Yeah. And it's almost like the you're not going to have a CD player with CDs. You need some way of listening to music. And obviously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Champion, but the music on there is not quite as nostalgic, I think, for me. 
Um, so not only is this like my favorite Mario game, but this is also like one of my favorite video game soundtracks of all time. Yeah. Koji Kondo's music in this is is so wonderful. The ending theme for this game is possibly my favorite piece of music ever wow. from video games. And I just I would just turn it on and I have the dun 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 like just the just the beginning music playing while I was, I don't know, cleaning my mansion in <laughs> under Mount Fuji. Um or doing stuff. And then, you know, after listening to the music for 10 minutes or so, I, I just think I just want to dive straight in and uh, just just play this. God, this game. I could play this game forever. Now, just you were... It. it seems like you made a mistake by choosing Super Mario World and not choosing Super Mario All-Stars. You could have gotten away with getting other Mario Oh, my God. Jesus Jesus Christ, you're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> James Montagna did this to me recently. How have I not... How have I not done this? Oh, you're <laughs> to pick it to choose right. a compilation re-release? Did he uh did he forget one? No, he got to cho- he did choose it for that exact reason. You are He chose Super Mario are... All-Stars. Yes, uh... he did. He chose it because he knew you damn Oh my god, can I can I change? This is my show, right? I can do this. I can manipulate. <laughs> I can manipulate the outcomes of this. Yes, go ahead. Choose it. I grant you the power to do this. <laughs> so yeah so if we are talking about mario games we do have the all-stars collection for the super nintendo which has super mario bros 1 and 2 remade super mario bros usa um super mario world and super mario bros 3 um and yeah it includes super mario world but if we're specifically talking if i was only denied if i was denied that and i was only allowed one mario game it would it would be super mario world perfect you don't have anything necessarily against the uh, other ones but it would have given you a new four or five games in one no and i will definitely be taking that yeah because <laughs> <I can. laughs> super mario bros 3 as well is one of the very very special mario games it's one of the i find the more challenging but the platforming in it is is so good um but the world is just the graphics the music the secrets the i know the levels backwards i would i would love just to have super mario world at the very least um with me in my mansion. Is there anything about the game that you haven't talked about that other people have talked about? Is there something you've always wanted to say about it that no one else has said on this show before? Uh, I, I think the music is one of the important things. I think people just take forget, like they guarantee that Mario games will always have good music. Yeah. And I think that's right. Like if you think about Galaxy, it changes it up. It has a whole orchestral soundtrack that sounds fantastic. Uh, you know, Mario Kart Wii, I'm taking that with me, and that's going to have an amazing soundtrack as well. There are other games in this list that have an amazing soundtrack. But for me, nothing. every time I think of a Mario game, like music starts playing in my head, and the music is always from Super Mario World. The From 1-1 onwards, the music, you know, even when you think of like the really kind of toned down Bowser Castle music, just the... The it, the tunes stick in my head so much, um, and I think maybe people don't give that game as much credit for its music as I think it deserves. Oh, no, and and the fact that it is its own genre of this 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 mixture from out of nowhere of this very Latin style, yet with this these Japanese flourishes. It's there's nothing really like it in all at all, and nothing in the game. That if I was uh, Koji Kondo looking at the art for the first time, I would never think to write music like that. But yet it yeah. marries, marries so brilliantly. I think it's uh, it's quite, there's nothing like it. You always know when you're listening to a Mario soundtrack. 
and it's almost the perfect example of like of Nintendo thinking like everyone remembers Zelda music. Um, you know, one of Nintendo's newest IPs in so long is Splatoon, and you know the soundtrack to that. Everyone loves that, mm-hmm. and it's very different to everything else. Um, but it, it, Super Mario World is like the perfect example of like Mario goes to music. Like they have specifically made it so for almost every jump is like a beat, and. For the way the enemies come out and the way everything is portrayed to you is almost in perfect harmony and sync as the music goes along as well. And Mario games have always been like that, but I feel like Super Mario World stands out that little bit more in terms of that very much Nintendo's like, we take absolute care in everything we do. And keeping with that, uh, taking absolute care in everything you do, what about um, a video game series that comes out every year? This is from Liam's, uh, what is this, fifth choice. I don't know. We'll listen to some music about it, but I'm not going to be able to introduce this at all because I don't know, as you can tell by my <laughs> accent, I don't know anything about this. I guess it, I know that it comes out every year. We'll talk about it, and Liam can explain what it is. This yeah, is okay. Liam's <laughs> next game. So I don't even know if there's music in this game. I would imagine maybe a <laughs> fanfare or something like that. Um, all you usually wrote... the music's all licensed. So <laughs> oh, it's all licensed music. Okay. Yeah. Um, usually. So it's like Shakira and stuff like that, or something like that. Uh, you pretty, yeah, you pretty much nailed it on the head there. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So this is FIFA. I don't know what year because they're they're done by year, right? Yeah. So I couldn't quite. Yeah, so FIFA is what I've chosen in a sense. Um, I love football, soccer to you, cretins who have disgraced the name of football. Um, yeah, soccer I, is my favorite sport. I, growing up in, when I was younger, there were two parallels in my life. One was video games and the other quite apt was the complete opposite, which was sports, but specifically one sport, which was soccer. Um and I was just as obsessed with that as I was with video games because my dad is a huge football guy um, and my family love it and we would watch it all the time and I would play when I was younger I played in teams and I had trials at clubs and I I felt like potentially this could be like something I wanted to do which is an incredible thing to think when you're a kid because everyone wants to do that um, <laughs> but I've just loved it ever since and FIFA is a game that is like my guilty pleasure. Like everyone complains that it comes out every year. Um, 
everyone complains that it's just a soccer game and I'm always quietly in the background like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I play Mario and I play, I play League of Legends and then I secretly go home and I play FIFA for like six hours. Because so. <laughs> all it is is you just play, you just play football for, and and that's, you just play another football game. There's no story or anything like that. Well, the, the, in the latest one, there technically is. There is like an RPG pseudo story mode where you play like the role of a, a, a character who is like trying to make it big in a football team. Oh, okay. But the, the gameplay is still the same. Like you still just play football. Just he's on your team and you have to make him look good, I guess. But I play this game a lot online. I, I love football so much. Um, and it's a game. It's it, This is one of the practicality choices. You could play this forever. Absolutely. I could play this forever. But the the difficult part is choosing a specific one in the series. You have to, yeah. Um, for a long time, for a long time, FIFA 12, which was the game that came out in 2011, because that's how they work, stupidly. Um, <laughs> FIFA 12 was the one I played in university. So going back to the time when I had all the free time in the world and I just played video games like an idiot and I played with my friends. Um, there was a core group of friends who were not my housemates who I played like Mario Kart and Smash Brothers with, but like a couple of other people who were into football and into uh, sports who I'd play FIFA with. And uh, we got pretty competitive about that. And that was FIFA 12. But by now, I think that would be pretty outdated uh, mechanically to the current one, which is a game that... I play online quite frequently, and for the first time this ever, I managed FIFA 17. To... FIFA 17, yeah. And this was a game that I play online quite frequently. Um, and because I'm in Japan, I can't play that many online games because no one is on my time zone oh. who <laughs> speaks English. So I have to play games kind of anonymous. I kind of have to play anonymously online on my own. So games like FIFA are kind of solo games that you can play 1v1. Um, but it has like a, it has like a career seasons where it has 10 leagues and you have to get to the, the highest league, which means you have to win uh, almost like 15. You have to win. You have to get like 15 points in a season every season, which is quite difficult. Um, but for the first time ever, I managed to make it to the highest league. I got to League One which means you're playing like the top percentage of players in the world, which I was very, very proud of. And I felt like blood, sweat and tears came out to get to that point. Wow. It's, um, it's all PVP. You're not ever playing it, against um, AI. Well, you can play against AI, but the AI is kind of ridiculously stupid in FIFA and doesn't really play like a human does. Oh, That's okay. the one thing I think they've never all. So I would choose FIFA because I know I have an online internet connection and you don't ever talk to anyone or do or chat or anything when you're playing the game uh you can do but i don't um so this would be like my online game next to league of legends that i would just play over and over again i would just play games of football over and over again with my favorite team manchester city just over and over again <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering yeah you didn't even put uh, put your home team up there manchester city manchester favorite city, yeah. player favorite player oh that's tough uh, probably david silver 
Daffod Silver, the Spanish, the Spanish wizard, as the as he's called. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically everyone online plays either Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, three of the biggest teams in the world. Um, I can quite happily say that I stick with my team and have done since the early days of FIFA. Now, some people will criticize that because my team have gotten a lot better in recent years, which makes it easier to compete against those teams. But they're still not quite the same level, so I still have some moral high ground compared to the people who just play the best teams in the world all the time. Oh, because it's based on real-life teams. It's based it on based how well completely, they do. Yeah, FIFA can hold the license for all of the teams, all of the sponsorships, all of the kits, everything. So it's all the real teams, the real players, based on real stats, and it's updated every week. With like the weekend games influencing like how good the players will be in the game for that week wow. if you're connected to online. So yeah, it's all pretty up to date. Which so I think I would have to take FIFA 17 right now. Excellent. Finally came down to a decision. Um, <laughs> it was difficult. <laughs> uh, this next game you could also um, say is a compilation game coming from our Super Mario All Stars from before. It is Liam's sixth game, and we will hear some really good music from it in a moment. Mm. This game, back to Liam's home country of Nintendo Land, was developed by <laughs> Intelligent Systems and Nintendo SPD, published by Nintendo. It had a simultaneous release, uh, it looks like, uh, June 25th, 2015, which it's cool that they're now uh, able to do these simultaneous releases. I think it's very nice. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, June 2015 in Japan, internationally in 2016. Never mind. It is the 12th. And he, he, even, even so, America got it three months before the UK did as well, which also sucked. Oh, <laughs> which is weird because it's in English, but not your English, I guess. I don't know. Um, I think it's because there's something, there's, there's something in Europe where English, well, it might not happen with Brexit anymore, but English copies of the game have to have, they're essentially the European copies of the games. So they have to have all Spanish, the other languages French, on Italian, it. and German on them. Whereas the American usually only has to have spanish on it so gotcha okay yeah this is three games in one it is the 12th game in the fire emblem series it is called fire emblem fates which uh also includes birthright conquest and revelation liam why in the fire emblem series did you choose fire emblem fates 
whoop whoop fire emblem yeah. like it's so glad like it, it's come down to me having to choose fire emblem on this show this is ridiculous no one has ever um, right i chose advanced wars which was the closest you chose you advanced wars you did you did me a solid and you chose a very good game and a very good series um and i still was waiting for the day that someone would choose fire emblem um but it has to be me who ends up talking about <laughs> fire emblem fire emblem in recent years has become one of my favorite series like it is nintendo but it feels so different to nintendo uh it feels more like games i used to play on the pc like XCOM or um you know like it, it feels like pc strategy games to me condensed into a nice little package and um for a long time i i only knew fire emblem because of smash brothers like a lot of us did roy uh, marth yourself sir being in video like the video game <laughs> um and Fire Emblem Awakening came out and it was this last ditch gamble for Nintendo on the Fire Emblem series because the Fire Emblem series was not doing so good. We had Path of Radiance on the Wii and uh, it just wasn't going so well for them. So they, they were like, hey, we're going to throw this game out there. We're going to let intelligent systems do their thing, see if it's a hit. And lo and behold, it was it was massive. It did extremely well, got amazing reviews and sold really, really well. And then, like, I mean... Look at it now. Look where Fire Emblem is now. We had a, we had a whole Nintendo Direct dedicated to like four or five Fire Emblem games coming out. It just the series blew up, I think. And um, I'd played Fire Emblem games in the past and uh, I'd enjoyed them. They were pretty good. But Awakening was, no pun intended, like an awakening to the franchise. Uh, an awakening I, I, to realize that, that the Western world really appreciated these games a lot. Um, yeah, like the changes always, they made. Yeah, yeah. There's always there's. I, I think uh, Japan, when they think of the West, they think of we like things to be easy and things like permadeath really turn us off. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there is a large population that really likes that sort of stuff. That really likes the number crunching kind of strategy games. Mm, um, that absolutely. really likes. I think especially in the West, the the romance has been very very popular. I think that's something that will never <laughs> will never go away. It'll now be no. a, a completely implicit in any Fire Emblem game to come out is the the shipping options that are so prevalent now. Um, uh, that I and I so I think it's it's really um, uh, Japan realizing that this is a worldwide phenomenon that this has a lot of of a broad appeal. It it does, and you're absolutely right. Like you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people do like that number crunching stuff, and I think it comes from you know we saw like XCOM Enemy Unknown back, people taking an unknown like not an unknown but a sort of un unplayed franchise and untouched franchise for a long time and making it into this kick ass permadeath strategy yeah. game that people really loved. And then Fire Emblem Awakening did the same, and then it 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 bolstered like the romance and the the compatibility and. I think at this point, anime culture had really taken a hold of Western, like people who played video games, or were also thanks to stuff like Crunchyroll and stuff like that. More people were exposed to anime now than ever before, and I think being a game where you could essentially match anime characters together and have them <laughs> fight battles together, I think that became really appealing um, to a lot of yeah. people. And uh, Awakening smashed it, and I loved it. So I was super excited for Fire Emblem Fates. I was a little nervous about what they did with the splitting the game into three. Uh, you can technically get it as one package. That's why I'm able to take uh, <laughs> it as, as one game. Uh, and it had three paths. One path where you follow one family called the Hoshido family, which are kind of 
the typical, atypical good guys, very Japanese samurai inspired, um, typical Japanese developer making the Japanese guys look really good. Um, <laughs> With some moral gray areas. Um, and then the other side was the conquest, which was the Nor side, which were these European knight-looking dudes who essentially were the bad guys. But if you played the games, you realize just how conflicting the stories are because the story of Fire Emblem Fates of the two dueling families, uh, you're kind of this main character who's stuck in the middle uh, of the two families. You were adopted by one side uh, after they stole you, and then the other side were fighting to get you back, and you've basically been brainwashed this whole time uh, by the head of one of the families. And uh, the, the it's amazing how one side of the story can portray the, char- the, the opposite side of characters to be so evil and so bad. And then when you play the other side... You see, actually, these they're, they're amazingly conflicted people who are not bad guys. They're just, they just see the other people as the enemies and they have to do what their king says. And for a game like Fire Emblem on a, on a 3DS, uh, in a sense, a smaller game to some people, it was just so expensive and had so many characters. And I adored it. It had the same excellent fire emblem gameplay that i absolutely i love the permadeath the the strategy the weapon triangles and all that kind of stuff um but it it had these three different stories and these three different stories are also like 50 hours each which means it's a massive game um and i just loved every single minute of it i played all three games i reviewed two of them um and i i loved it i loved it so it was in my game uh it was in my eight games of last year alongside final fantasy 15 um and i i just feel like it's one of the most underappreciated gems to come out in recent times if you love strategy games if you love that typical nintendo touch on anything like fire Emblem fates is like exactly what you need to be playing who do you ship do you are you uh were there any particular characters who struck your fancy together so there are there is there are always fire Emblem characters i want to put together um so i was actually I'm usually never partial to like main characters like Crom in Awakening. Crom can do one. Just give me like you know Donald or like other side characters all the time. Yeah. But uh, in in uh, Fire Emblem Fates, you are sort of your fates are ugh, no pun intended again. Nintendo makes their titles too easy to pun. Yeah. Um. So your fate is sort of interlinked with this other character who's a girl called uh, Azura, um, and she's like this sort of dancing princess. Uh, who can like buff your party and uh, give you extra moves and stuff and she was actually a really good character like a really well-written character i think i feel and um i know there's a lot of controversy about the fates localization and a lot of people just being stupid idiots on the internet um but i thought i really liked the dynamic she had with the main character and the fact that it seems like they were in a typical way meant to be together Mm mm-hmm like you know the oh he's they have the kind of same backstory and the the fate is the same and you know it's like they're destined to be together but then in a typical fire emblem fashion you can fuck that and then you can put her with a cool ass ninja <laughs> and you can have a cool ass dancing ninja baby and it's like that is so cool so azura putting azura with this ninja called saizo and like having a cool like like neglective uh doesn't care about anything other than being a ninja kind of dude with this really loving and caring dancer lady who uh, takes care of him almost in a Vegeta and Bulma kind of relationship. Right. Yeah. 
I loved I loved that. And uh, <laughs> you know, like the two heads of each family, uh, you have, uh, oh, what's his name? You have Ryoma on the side of his uh, Hoshido, and um, oh, what's his name? Why am I forgetting his name? Ah, he's in Fire Emblem Heroes. Who's the head of the Nor? I forget his name. Nor head family. Uh, why am I forgetting things? I forget what his name is, but he's this wonderfully striking man um, who is... Oh, his name is Xander. Xander is his name. Xander. So you have Ryoma and Xander, and they're like the two heads of each family, like the big older brothers who have to look after everyone. And they're super strong characters. Uh, and Xander is portrayed to be really evil, but actually he's like the the, the sweetest, most loyal amazingly sacrificing person in the whole games and i i really like both the heads of the families and um there's just so many characters they're so great like the first lot of characters i really wanted to get in fire emblem heroes was like characters from from fates. like fates yeah from fates because like i just have such an affinity with those characters like i love like you know marth roy crom lucina like ike I, going back to like all the older Fire Emblems too, like Fire Emblem Advance and just, I wanted those characters, but like the first lot of characters I really wanted was the Fire Emblem Fates characters because they're so fresh in my mind. Well, and, and they were also just wanted... voiced too, a lot of those. Yes, exactly. And it's like you have that sort of, you can hear them in your head when you think about them which i think it brings a, a deeper connection to them and you can hear them talking with each other which is so great yeah about fire emblem like characters talking to each other about stupid shit like cups of tea yeah and how to make toast and just such stupid stuff <laughs> i just i thought it was an excellent game and i honestly i get i get gushy in a way when i think about it because i feel like awakening did really well and so many people enjoyed that but i haven't felt i know fates did really well it reviewed really well and a lot of people love it but the same it hasn't lasted i don't think the hype has lasted as long on it um obviously the sales must have been pretty good because we're seeing I more just, fire emblem well, yeah, I just looked it, up. it sold two million units which is pretty good for a uh for which a is excellent game. For a, yeah um, yeah, absolutely. A, a game, obs- a, a handheld game that is pretty obscure as well. Yeah, like uh, but strategy I say, games like that. From someone who goes to conventions quite often, uh, Fates is alive and well. Uh, no need to. Oh, worry. excellent! Very, very gl- deep fan following. So no worries there. Um, and it's amazing because, like, as much as I love it, like you are, you're like you are in it. You are one of the characters. <laughs> uh, it's it's weird. I uh, it's very very strange. That was a, that was a surprise to me. I um, I was was very surprised. I did not audition for Roy. I had auditioned for Alphonse, and I was surprised that after my Alphonse and my Gaia session, because I just did my best Gideon Emery impression, um, they were like, "Do you want to <laughs> do you want to give Roy a shot?" And I uh, I did. I was very nervous, um, and I was fully expecting them not to use me. But uh, lo and behold, it came out, and I got to uh, got to be a part of something because Melee was one of the games that i chose for my final you did. games yeah um and roy and dr mario were my were my characters i like the the slower more powerful characters but not the mm. really slow ones like bowser and Ganondorf. <laughs> um but it's funny because that's the first time we ever saw roy it's the first time we ever saw fire emblem in the west in the which west is through Melee. at all yeah and you were like who are these japanese guys why are they speaking <laughs> english this is weird uh they're kind of cool oh okay roy has fire okay this is very cool and martha's fast um so uh, it was crazy that I got to uh, that was the my first time playing someone from childhood because I've definitely 
all the games that I've been a part of are new games, new characters. This was the first time saying, oh, wow, I, I know Roy. This is crazy. Uh, so that was nuts. And, it, and it's funny because speaking of Fire Emblem Heroes, I did. This was a toss up between Fire Emblem Fates and Fire Emblem Heroes. Fire Emblem Heroes is. I'm loving it at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. I really like it. It's not quite Fire Emblem in terms of being like a Fire Emblem game. Right. It's kind of like a watered down version of it. It's a very quick fire, fast, almost no strategy required fight you know the triangle the weapon triangle right. just go for it kind of thing but i love the whole i love collecting things so <laughs> getting all the characters and doing all that kind of things and seeing all the wonderful artwork and the voices is so lovely and being able to play it when i'm on the train here in japan is really nice um and it going forward has the has more legs i think there's a than lot Fire Emblem planned for it absolutely yes. yeah so with fire emblem fates although that would give me a good 150 hours of initial gameplay i can go back and i can play it again with more pairings and i can try lunatic and i can try full permadeath no save runs and i can do there's so much i can do with it but even then there would still probably be a limit um and Fire Emblem Heroes almost edged out because of that limit. Because I feel I still get the same Fire Emblem feeling in my heart when I play Fire Emblem Heroes. Plus, I mean, when I'm on a deserted island, I'm, I'm going to need to be comforted by something from home. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hearing Roy's hearing Roy's voice, which is my friend Ray, talking to me <laughs> while I'm alone in my big mansion could be quite heartwarming <laughs> sometimes. Um, but I couldn't, I just couldn't not... I, I love Fates too much. I, I would have to take it. Well, and it has that strategy. It has the that strategy. true Absolutely. Fire Emblem experience. Yeah, you would go nuts if you just if you just had heroes for for too long. There's uh, it's just not. It's it's more uh, heroes is more dependent on who you're bringing to the battle more than what you do when you're actually there. Once yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree so much because even if you take really powerful characters into Fates and you level them up, ages. If you make one mistake, you get. You get royally fucked, yeah. and that's why you need to think about your strategy. Where not so much in heroes, yeah, <laughs> not so much. Exactly. Uh, so I think it's time for our second to last game. Uh, oh my god, already let's, crazy! Yeah, already we're almost there. Uh, although we're going to talk about some uh, familiar faces again. So here, another cult classic that I see all the time at the conventions. Here's some music from Liam's second to last game. <laughs> So this game is once again developed by Platinum Games, which I'm realizing as I'm doing this list, I think half of your games are involving Platinum Games, which is quite something. Um, <laughs> published by Sega and Nintendo. 
uh, coming out for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 and uh, later released on the Wii U. This is the third-person action game Bayonetta. Why did you choose Bayonetta, the first one? So Bayonetta, um, uh, why? I'm trying to think exactly the reason why I chose Bayonetta. And thinking about nostalgia versus practicality, it doesn't quite fit into practicality. Although it's a game I feel like I've played so many times and I still could pick it up now and not be bored. The, the combat is, I feel like, literally the best combat in any video game ever. It's so perfect in terms of action. And it was kind of like, it was a toss-up between this and Bloodborne. When I was thinking about choosing Bloodborne, like, I wanted, like, an action game. Like, a game that requires required me to be, be get better at, like, you know, killing things. I, <laughs> I keep saying it in such a devious way. Um, but the idea of... Uh, the idea of having that action to like test my reflexes and and test my uh, ability to get better at something i wanted it and bayonetta is a game that once again came out when i was in university and me and my friends played it so much so many all the way through we love devil may cry um and we love platinum's games and Bayonetta was just perfect. The, the action is just so perfect. I love it so much. Because um, I'm realizing, because your list doesn't have actual combat in it. This is the only one where you're literally swinging a sword. Everything else, this is, you're telling people to swing a sword, or you're jumping on things, or uh, it's, a, right. it's MOBA kind of combat. This is the one where you're actually doing uh, your yeah, actual you combat. You're right. This is the game that has essentially the more traditional video game mechanics in it. Yeah. Um, the the if we go back to the PlayStation Two era, the the combats that the the mechanics that every game almost had. Um, you know, the hack and slash kind of gameplay. Yeah. And uh, there was a big popularity of that. You know, obviously with Devil May Cry. Um, but Bayonetta, when Bayonetta came out, I was super excited. Platinum, Hideki Kamiya directing a game is always great. Unfortunately, we've seen what's happened with Scalebound recently, mm-hmm. and there's some stuff going around with that that is not so great. Um, but Bayonetta, super excited. Like this really wonderful looking female protagonist who, yeah, in a way, she's very styled up in a Japanese kind of way, and there are some maybe not needed elements to her sure, <laughs> qualities sure. <laughs> um but she she is like bayonetta would tear anyone to shreds like li- i can't even think of a, another video game character that would beat bayonetta in a fight wow like, at all like she just kick anyone's ass it's so she's so powerful and she's so quick-witted so not only could you not defeat her mentally then like in terms of like hand-to-hand combat she'd just fucking kick anyone's ass she's so strong she's so powerful and she's so badass and you just go through the whole game playing with this incredibly cheesy dialogue this disgustingly terrible british accent and just laughing all the way as you're absolutely just destroying these angels with like the most incredible animation and incredible flashy combat and it's such a good game and this is the game i would want to just spend so much time just replaying stages over and over again getting higher scores because you get ranked on how many points you get or if you get hit and uh getting all the medals and um i feel like bayonetta 1 stood out a little bit more to me than bayonetta 2 did i really liked bayonetta 2 but it seemed really short and didn't have as much optional stuff 
uh, that Bayonetta 1 had. So they were kind of interchangeable between each other for me because the combat is almost exactly the same. But I have an affinity towards Bayonetta 1 quite a lot. Speaking of combat staying exactly the same, our last, our very, very final games in Liam's Final Games podcast. First Final Games podcast. This might return, uh, say, 10 years down the line <laughs> if podcasts are still a way of consuming data in the future. Um, it's getting injected in directly into the veins. Exactly. You can, this, you can hear my words yeah. going in th- through your arteries right now. Yes. This is a, uh, a long-running game series that Liam has praised a great deal. And uh, he has... I don't remember if this was on the show or after we talked about it, but you've definitely previewed that this was one that you were was going to be on your list, and in fact it is. Yeah. The final game yeah. on your list <laughs> in a series of games. Here is some music from Liam's final game. This game is developed by Sora Limited and Bandai Namco Games, published by Nintendo. It is. <laughs> it's almost like a dirty word at this point. Yeah. <laughs> how many? How many you got? This is. Uh, you've got one, two, three, four, five out of your eight were Nintendo games, and uh, I think three or four out of those were platinum games as well. Pretty amazing. I think some people are just going to be surprised that not all eight. War Nintendo, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, this is the, let's see, the, four, okay, so it says here the the two titles. Oh, so oh, okay, so yours, yours is the fourth and fifth version of the Super Smash Brothers series because Nintendo 3DS yes. and Wii U came out, but you have chosen the Wii U version, Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. Liam, why this version out of all the Super Smash Brothers versions? <laughs> so, uh, essentially, this is my favorite game ever. Um, Super Smash Smash Brothers is my favorite series. Um, I, I've grown up, like as I said at the beginning of the show, like uh, the the time I realized I really wanted to do something in video games is the the years I spent playing the N sixty four and having friends over to play games like Mario Kart and uh, Snowboard Kids or golden eye and a, a massive part of that was smash brothers like super smash brothers which was a game that came out of nowhere had a really strange history about it a guy called masahiro sakurai had an idea for like people fighting on a platform and then nintendo hated it so he put nintendo characters in it and for some reason they thought that would be okay <laughs> uh, and it turned out to be one of nintendo's biggest franchises ever and um it's just got better and better like melee you spoke at 
length and it's such great praise for melee in your episode ray um and then brawl came out and i i spoke about brawl recently as well someone chose brawl like smash has been coming up a lot and i loved brawl brawl was the one that came out when i was in university i had the same affinity for brawl as i do with mario kart we um they're kind of the black sheeps of both series mm -hmm. the wii titles the super smash brothers brawl is probably the least liked out of the, all the smash titles and mario kart we the same out of the Mario Kart series um, but I spent so many hours playing it and I uh, adored Brawl to death that when it came time for Super Smash Brothers 4 or Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS uh, was coming out I got so excited the, the, the way Nintendo dealt with the PR around this game the characters being released and the incredible CGI trailers and the build up to it was so hype and just so exciting and I remember that by the time it was coming out, I was working at Rockstar, and there was a couple of guys at Rockstar who were just as obsessed with Nintendo as I am, uh, big Nintendo guys, and we were every time there was a Nintendo Direct or anything, we'd all crowd around one computer in like uh, one of our like office rooms, and we'd watch it, and we'd see all the reveals. Like I remember the reveal for like Mega Man and the reveal for Shulk from Xenoblade Chronicles, just going crazy. Well, there were just so many characters this time around. Yeah, there's just it's the biggest roster 50 plus characters or whatever it is which means i've spent too much money on amiibos because i have all the amiibos for smash brothers um and just then the game came out and i remember that i took the day off <laughs> i never take days off to play video games i know that's kind of the norm for some people um but for me for smash brothers i took the day off and I went and I bought like all the Amiibos I could get on launch. I bought like four GameCube <laughs> controllers. I bought the game. Um, and I that night I invited, we had like a big Rockstar, like come play the eight player Smash that you could on Wii U. And just from then on, I just became obsessed with this game. I love it so much. We've had so many pizza parties where we would all gather around just to play Smash. We'd have loads of beer, loads of pizza, and just who is the best player at Smash, which became a massive, massive thing in our office as well. Um, and I, it's just some of the best memories I have recently of playing video games. And Super Smash Bros. Wii U is almost like a, it's almost like if I designed a game to tell Nintendo about how much I love them and their properties and what they've done. Like, I think it would just turn out to be Super Smash Bros. Wii U. Because that game is a love letter to almost every Nintendo game and almost every Nintendo franchise ever. With all of the additional stuff in it. Like, it's almost like a museum of yeah, Nintendo Yeah, because there's really nothing. Items. And with the, the trophy system that uh, Melee had, and I think they kept continuing it. You really, it, is, it literally is a museum. It's every single thing uh, chronicled in every, almost every single game. There's nothing, yeah, almost nothing it, missing. It absolutely is, and you know, even if your your favorite character doesn't get in, something from the your favorite series definitely makes it either as like an assist trophy or like uh, and a trophy that you can pick up or a power up, just, right? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just features in some way, like every part of Nintendo in some way uh, appears in that game, and just every time I play it, whether it's the music, the stages, the characters, the items, just just flashes back to like playing games as a child, playing games in university pizza parties with my friends at rockstar and then being here in japan now you know essentially like feeling happy that i've almost made it to the point that i've always wanted to be in life which is like living in japan and being where it essentially all happens and uh it's just um 
I just love this game so much. I can't, I honestly can't praise it enough. It, it's not essentially the most complicated game. Um, and it's not the best game ever by any stretch of the imagination. But for me, it's just the most fun game I can, I can think of. And what would be, who is, uh, what characters do you play as most often? Um, so in Super, Super Smash Bros. Wii U, um, I tend to, uh, as I always have in Smashes, I, I tend to play random because I, I get so much joy out of playing all the characters. But with Super Smash Bros. Wii U, I definitely tended to lean towards uh, characters like Little Mac, although he's useless. Um, I, I just, his punch is so powerful. I love hitting people. <laughs> it's so satisfying. I really like playing as Roy. Um, when Roy came out, I really enjoyed playing as Roy. Um, Corin also from Fire Emblem. Oh, yeah. I enjoy playing with her. Um, who else? Uh, obviously, the old favorites. People like Toon Link, uh, Captain Falcon. Um, p- trolling people is Ganondorf because Ganondorf is disgustingly terrible. Um, I don't know. Like Rob. Uh, there's just so many characters. Bring I love all, playing. Bring it all back game. together. It does seem, though, that you gravitate towards what you uh, liked about League of Legends are the very big playing as a support playing as these bigger, tankier people and being able to do this very, the one very, very hard thing, um, but really kicking their ass once you actually get it done. So uh, yeah, you, you're the those... kind of guy who's just playing all game, trying to get that Falcon punch to... Oh, through. dude, that is... You are... You have nailed it on the head. I am the dude who, like, literally will get his HP up high enough so that he can get one counter... Like one Corrin counter or one Roy counter or <laughs> one Bayonetta counter just to knock them off in one move. Like the flashiest, most stupid way possible. Um, that That's me. Like I, I love doing the old Ganondorf grab off the ledge oh. and killing killing both myself and the, the other player. It's wonderful. Like people are... People are probably like, oh my god, I never want to play Smash Bros. with this guy. But <laughs> I just, I enjoy the, like my own little challenges to myself. Yeah, seeing by, if you can get away with I'm it. Because they're, they're hard. They're, I, they're not easy. They're not. And I, it's just so much fun to be like, this game, I'm because uh, spot dodging, which is, you know, where you roll out of the way. Yeah. is like something I'm, I'm really good at. I'm able to dodge things. And I'm pretty much able to avoid getting hit if I want to, unless people start like ganging up on me, which in our sort of circle is known as Chuckle Brothers, <laughs> which um, which goes back to like an old British TV show about two brothers who were like, me, to you, to me, to you. So uh, <laughs> anyone who knows that, um, we would call them Chuckle Brothering, which is like two people ganging on one person. Um, but like, there's nothing more satisfying than jumping in the air with Captain Falcon, charging your punch midair, then landing in the ground right in front of someone's face. Just punching them off the stage with the Falcon Punch, <laughs> or it's getting a home so run bat. Those the oh, yeah, yes, so much fun. Or like timing like a Lucas up B with the with the electricity. Yeah, circling it back around on yourself, hitting yourself into another person, and then hitting them off the stage. There's just so many things to be satisfied about. Yeah, <laughs> in it. <laughs> or the best. Oh, my favorite. My the, to me the impossible thing that sometimes did work was Luigi's taunt in melee did do one damage if you kicked them. It was just a little, he did a little, aw, shucks, kick um, that only did 1% damage, but it, it was enough that sometimes it would make the difference that it would knock out a character or knock them off the map. Well, it was, uh, those were the, those little things I, I would try to go for too. 
I mean, you're exactly right, because the fact is you can almost tell Nintendo, well, Sakurai and his team purposely have done that because there are moves in the game that they want you to gravitate to to try stuff like that, which is like Jigglypuff Rest, where you perfectly time falling asleep on top of someone's head and then you'll do massive damage. Or with like Luigi's Gold Coin, where you up B just right underneath someone. Yes, yeah. So they've, they've put stuff in the game that they want you to keep trying, like stuff that they want you to gravitate to to try because it's difficult and also because it's like super annoying if you land it on someone else um like the people you're playing against are gonna be like oh for fuck's sake yeah because <laughs> it is very hard like to do and it's very impressive the sounds the 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 graphics that happen are very impressive when they they do go uh when they are successful yeah, and it's, it's so you can tell the, the the team when they were making the game, they were like, we're going to put stuff like this in because it's just fun to sometimes do stupid stuff like this. Yeah. And, and uh, that's exactly how I play Smash, and it's just why I love it so much. It's so much fun. Well, Liam, you've been an excellent guest on your own show, I have to say. Uh, I would love <laughs> to have you back. It would be, uh, I think you'd be very good at this. Um, what? Uh... Ray, you're the only returning person ever. You've somehow escaped from the deserted place. That's true. I haven't been banished. Oh, man. <laughs> Not... we somehow we, we someone set it up so you were rescued or something. That's perfect. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, everyone else has been banished forever. Well, thank you. Thank you for rescuing me for a bit. But, uh, yeah, I have to go back and uh, and play some more Chips Challenge. Did you ever look up those That's games? True. All those uh DOS games? I did. Oh, excellent. I did. I watched some videos of Chips Challenge, actually. It's... Oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you see that one... The one video, which was the Blizzard... the uh, Or the uh, the ice video that was like 150 moves in this ice maze? No, I didn't. That to I me just is, saw like someone... That to me is incredible. Like Because that was before... That was dial-up internet days where you couldn't have a video online and so... Just to watch a playthrough of it would blow my mind. That would you can't have a playthrough of Chips Challenge. It doesn't exist. It's crazy. <laughs> well, there was like one I saw like where it was like six hours long and it was like it, it, the 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 like what is it? Like the description in the video was like all one hundred and forty nine levels completed in one sitting. Wow. I, all right, yeah. I have to watch it. I have to see some of the ones <laughs> I've never been able to beat. Man, that is crazy. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks, Liam. How can uh, people reach you? Um, are there any, say, podcasts you do? Um, there is there is this one podcast I do. It's uh, it's not very good, oh. but uh, it's very similar to this show, actually. Oh, nice. I don't know. There are some parallels between this episode and some <laughs> other episodes. Um, uh, that, and, and my show features incredible guests, um, such as a guy called Ray Chase. Oh, love him. Um, you, uh, where you can hear him in games like Final Fantasy XV and Fire Emblem Heroes. Uh, he was on my show. The show is called Final Games. Uh, a recent episode went out last week with Mary Kish, who was of GameSpot, and now she's of Twitch. Um, and so many people have listened to that episode because she is huge. She is a very wonderful and funny person. Uh, but yeah, you can find that show on SoundCloud if you just search Final Games. You can also find it on iTunes. Acast, Stitcher, and pretty much every podcast network in existence. Not bad. And follow you on Twitter. Yes, please do. Um, you can listen to me post. You can listen to. You can read me talk about Fire Emblem or post things about Fire Emblem Heroes or Japan or any of those things that are incredibly predictable of me now, right right now. Um, and you can follow me at Liam B M E. Thank you, Liam. I hereby banish you to 
basically Japan, where you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, Ray, thank you so much for, Thanks uh, for asking doing me. this as well. My pleasure. Um, it's been an incredible twist of fate <laughs> and a turn for the worst because I'm being banished. Yes. But I guess, but I feel like I'm able to manipulate the world so I can still do final games from my mansion in japan Japan. ironically yes you will uh you will be uh back back uh, next week i'm sure no worries. i'm sure i will um ray also please let the wonderful people know where their wonderful hosts for this week can also be oh what they should be checking out too for me you can find me on twitter at ray chase and that's my favorite place because uh it's very easy to talk on there um i I like it a lot i'm new to it and i uh i'm really liking it a lot it's fast you can see all the wonderful fan art that people post to you as well. Oh yeah, it's like really cool. Oh, someone stuff. did a uh, just tonight. Someone did um, a sexy fan art of Kenny Crow, and I thought that was just hilarious. Uh, check that out. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I can't end this episode because I'm not the host. I don't remember how you end episodes. Is there a special? You've, you've done. You've done perfect so far. I think. A, I think a, a goodbye and come back next week okay, would be great, fine. Great, great. Okay. Cool. And I'll uh, I'll edit that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or we can just keep it in for the fun Dang of it. it. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Liam. Uh, we will see you next week. Your banishment will end pretty soon. And you will enjoy all your wonderful <laughs> Nintendo and couple non-Nintendo games. Thank you and good night. <laughs>